Hello, it's Shahid here, and welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. Just a reminder that this Friday is our early bird deadline, 10th of February. Uh, so try not to miss out on that if you want to save a little bit of money. If you want a shout out on here for any job roles or any production services, get in touch with us at awards at the creative floor.com. I just quickly want to say a big, big thank you to all our Talent Diversity Fund submissions. We've received them all and they're currently on their way to last year's winners who are going to help us decide on where the money goes. And our fund has raised over £160,000 to date. So a huge, huge, huge thank you from the bottom of my heart and everyone at the Creative Floor to every single person and every agency who has helped support us over the past 10 years. We really couldn't have done any of this work without it. So today we have a very special podcast. We talked to Dan Russell from Seven Stones about their incredible campaign called The Invisible Opponent with Tyson Fury and Declan Rice. Links to both films are in the show notes. So do check them out beforehand if you haven't seen them already. And there's also a link to Calm, who's the client behind this uh, campaign. I think... If you're particularly unhappy right now with the state of the briefs that are constantly landing on your desk, if you feel that you're drowning in PowerPoint presentations and just endless, pointless back-to-back meetings, if you feel like you have a lot more creativity within you, but unable to bring it to your day job, and I'm also aiming that at people who work in agencies, but don't necessarily sit directly in the creative department. And I think if you want to unlock some secrets on how to make the impossible, you're going to get a lot out of this podcast. Please, please don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you listen to these podcasts, just to make sure that you don't miss out as soon as the next one drops. I'd love to know what you think. Please do get in touch and, uh, you know, let us know if, if this was good or not. Yeah, I loved it. I think you're going to get a lot from it. Enjoy. Well, welcome back to another Creative Floor Awards podcast. Very, very excited today to be joined by Dan Russell, Managing Director of Seven Stones. Hello. Hey, Shahid. How you doing? I'm very well. Where are you calling from today? I'm calling from uh, sunny Ishi um, in South London. Although I'm lying, it's not sunny at all, so I'm a bit, um, I'm, I'm in Sheen. Well, it's sunny over here. I'm northwest London, so hopefully it's either coming to you or we're getting more <laughs> rain. So we'll soon find out, no doubt. Yeah, totally. We're going to be talking about some work today, which is always an absolute pleasure. We have put in the show notes pieces of work that we're going to be talking about today. So if anyone wants to go and click on those YouTube links, it'll probably uh, be beneficial to know what we're talking about. But we are talking today about a very, very important campaign by Calm. It's a film with world heavyweight boxing champion uh, Tyson Fury called The Invisible Opponent, which is absolutely groundbreaking, swept up you know, a million awards that we'll get into a little bit later on. And it was recently followed up for the World Cup with an equally excellent film with England footballer Declan Rice. I can't wait to get behind the story of of why you did it, how you did it, uh, all your learnings. And what I found particularly interesting, we you know as an industry, we talk about ideas can come from everywhere. You're not a creative by background, and I do know that you had creatives working with you on this project. This was, you know by talking to you on this previously, uh, you know, 
uh, certain couple of chats that we've had. I know that this is more or less your your baby, if you like, and I think there's just some incredible learnings from anyone listening to this who perhaps you know isn't directly working in the creative department, just to sort of get your experience and and your learnings from this project about how you can literally create anything um, if you really want to do something. But before we get into the work and we get into all this amazing stuff that I know is yet to come, I'd love to get a little bit about your background because I know that you don't come from a, a classical healthcare background. And I just think it'd be really great just to touch on because I think it's got we've got lots of learnings and links into the actual work itself. So is that okay, Dan? Is that okay if we just talk a little yeah. bit about how you started uh, your career? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean... Like I said, I've been at Seven Stones for about three years now, but my background is very much in consumer advertising. So I started my career back in 2006. I did the um, Institute of Direct Marketing summer school uh, and was picked as the only grad at Hormel CHI. So Hormel was basically the below the line arm of, of Clemo Hornby Ying then, which is now the AM partnership. So I sort of spent the first couple of years of my career mastering uh, direct data and digital um, advertising. And then later when chi sold its minority stake to wpp and became chi and partners and a sort of full service agency i moved into the above the line bit if, if, if that's um, a term anymore and um you know worked on british gas for a bit so in the time of your energy experts and we moved to a more emotive positioning around looking after your world with the planets in space and stuff which is which is good fun and so i was there for about three years and got a pretty good rounding i guess and everything from tv to direct mail um and then i moved over to Abbott Media Video, where I was there for, you know, over a decade. Um, you know, and as you would expect, um, being there for so long, I, I obviously worked on it pretty much everything, um, you know, from from Snickers through to Sainsbury's and, you know, Snickers in the days of Mr. T before launching when you're hungry. And, um, <laughs> nice. And, uh, which is good fun. And, uh, you know, and Sainsbury's on the brand team doing everything from, you know, feed your family for a fiver to make the most of your roast and lots of brand campaigns. So, um, you know, whilst I was there, I did a I did a stint looking after the account management department. There was there was three of us that covered the department of about 120 people, and in my last role before the move, um, was head of BT, which is you know the UK's second biggest advertiser, I think, or it was at the time anyway. You know, since about 115 million quid a year in advertising, and and that includes. So and during that time, I I had a little um, stint client side with them, so I seconded as a comms director in the CSR team, which is super interesting as well. So, um, you know, I had lots of fun there, but, um, you know, I, when you get to 10 years, it makes you sort of <laughs> have a little think about, um, you know, are you going to do another 10 or, or try something else? And, and I um, and I really wanted to, um, I wanted to try something a little bit different, um, which, so, and we can talk a little bit more about the, the, the move from consumer to healthcare, but, um, but that, that's essentially my background in sort of consumer, consumer advertising. I think a lot, well, I do know, it's not like I think, because I'm from that background too, but I know that there's been a, you know, quite a big influx of um, people from the world of consumer in into health, certainly from a creative perspective. But um, I mean, from an account man perspective, I mean, you're kind of at the heady heights of Adland, right? Abbott Mead Vickers back then when you were talking about was the largest agency in the EU, the most awarded in the world. I mean, it doesn't really get much dizzier than that. And I imagine that, you know, you said you're looking after 120 people or so. You're probably going to some really fancy lunches. You're kind of working with Mr. T. 
maybe Jamie Oliver, if he was still doing Sainsbury's then, I don't know. But I mean, you know, you're, you've got a pretty, from the outside, a pretty cool life, right? <laughs> Stressful, no doubt, but pretty cool. What makes you go from working on a £115 million account to, uh, to, to a farmer, to, to a farmer <laughs> one? Um, well, you know what? The, the truth is, you know, I, I didn't set out to go, you know, I've worked in consumer, now I want to try healthcare. I mean, really what I wanted to try was the opposite of what I had, you know, and, um, you know, where sometimes you can be a cog in a machine, you know, it's amazing as A&B was, you know, I wanted to try a small independent agency, you know, where I could, you know, slot into a management team and try and build something, you know, roll my sleeves up and, you know, somewhere where you can, you know, make your own decisions, I guess, in the sense of the, the final decision and, you know, invest your profits as you choose and, you know, and see what happens really. Um, you know, so that was, that was the motivation, I think, at the time. And, and then, you know, one of my headhunters who I used to use to hire people into the department at Envy, um, she called me up and said, um, hey, look, I've got, I've got something for you. <laughs> um, you know, she's like, don't, don't turn your nose up because it's farmer. You know, it's, it was that, you know, because people talk a bit like that, don't they? They sort of expect yeah, you to be like, oh, yeah. so it's, you know, so it's rules and regulations. Why would I want to go there? But, yeah. um, but, you know, but it ticks all the other boxes of what you're looking for. You know, it's, a, it's an MD role and you can, you know, learn a P&L and, and actually how to run a business yourself, you know, not just what I'd done previously was really understanding all my clients' businesses. This is about understanding the agency that you work in. And, and um, you know, that was really interesting. So, you know, what did I have to lose, right? So I went and met the guys at Seven Stones and, you know, I was pretty blown away by how, you know, creative, quirky and unique it was. You know, it's, it's um, you know, it was in Soho way, I think, back in the day, but moved out to West London on the Latimer Road and they had built, built their... Um, agency around a gym so it, it kind of had this thing about you know practice what you preach you know from a healthcare perspective which is really which is quite quirky you know and quite a um you know i guess a more sustainable strategy in terms of um workplace workplace and keeping people happy versus what i might have been used to in the past which is you know when when, when people you know burn out a bit you put some money behind the bar and have a blowout and then you go back the next day and do it again you know so um th this felt a bit more long term in, in some ways and um you, you know and, and it, it was a it, it was a it had a startup feel which is pretty su surprising for a 30 year old agency which was the best of both worlds for me right because i wanted the startup mentality the agility that being nimble fast-paced non-traditional all the things which you get told you're not when you're at a big place um you know but coupled with the sort of stability that you get with a place that's been around a long time so has big clients already and lots of experience so um wow so, so seven stones is 30 years old yeah yeah wow i had no idea yeah, yeah it's been it's been you know and, and, and you know and now now that it's time for them you know they want to um see what we can do in terms of growing it um into what it what it should you know could be so um you know so it's an exciting chapter next chapter for the agency too and and that that was really attractive you know to me so you know the healthcare thing is funny you know like people used to talk about healthcare talent you know not not being able to go the other way right in, into consumer agencies and i've read this article the other day which was you know you know when when you do you know 
make sure you dial down the healthcare elements of your CV, you know, otherwise people might think you're boring or uncreative, you know, and, and, uh, and I was like, okay, fair, yeah, that's probably right. But, you know, I can tell you, I certainly felt like an imposter at the thought of moving over, you know, this way. Um, you know, my reservations were because, you know, I, I am not a scientist by any stretch. Um, you know, and it was Alex, my boss at the time was like, well, I don't want you to be, to be honest, you know, she's a scientist, we have scientists in the building, you know, so, um, uh, you know, so I thought about, well, you know, what do I bring to the party? What have I learned from AMV that's transferable? And, you know, I know how to run big teams, you know, I, I know how to create an environment where, you know, people are happy and work hard, you know, where they can be their best so they can produce their best work. And, I know it's a run a creative process to get to a quality output. So, you know, as soon as I realized that the product in that process is interchangeable, you know, whether you're selling chocolate bars, you know, as I did for years or persuading doctors that, you know, they should be prescribing your client's products over another, like, you know, the rules of advertising are the same. It's about building emotional connection, getting noticed, remembered, understood, you know, as soon as I realized that, that then I, I knew I could make the transition. Yeah. Well, just jumping back a little bit, just share one thing. Like, What was the best thing that you learned from AMV in your 10 years there? What was the one thing that will never leave you? It's probably around the, the value set of the place. Um, you know, it's ingrained in my own value set is why I was there for so long. <laughs> I think probably something that Scylla, um, Dame Scylla taught me, which was kindness is not a weakness, it's a strength. You know, and you look at the values of BVDO, you know, the, the 10 corporate ones be a hand raiser, not a finger pointer, a radius and not a drain and all that, which is all true, of course. But, you know, I really looked at the um, values of the founding partners of AMV and you had, you know, um, Peter Mee's book, If in Doubt, Be Nice. And you had um, Abbott's thing, which was about, you know, we care about two things. We care about um, the work and the people and the work, you know, the, or, or quality and people and, the quality thing was everything from, you know, the work, obviously, but to how you even, you know, arrange your chairs around a table before a meeting. And, you know, the people thing was the thought that, you know, if you look after each other, everything else looks after itself, you know, and that's what, that's probably the biggest learning I had that, you know, you, you treat people well and they work for blood, sweat and tears, not just a paycheck, you know, you, you can, you can have fun and do good work at the same time. And so that was probably, you know, what I, what I take from there um, the most and sort of is ingrained in the way I work probably because I was there for so long. So it's, 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 it's really, really fascinating. You say that because I would have said exactly the same thing when I, cause yeah. I used to work there. Uh, yeah. I, I remember there was this one, I mean, there are loads of instances I could share, but there was one in particular that I remember there was, um, there was a creative there. Um, I won't mention their name, but she, they got very, very ill. Um, I think they had like brain tumor or something and they basically weren't back for like, I don't know, good six to 10 months or so. And um, I remember it was, it wasn't anything that they sort of made public, but it was just one of those things that I found out when this person came back and was just sort of, you know, saying how supportive everyone was and all that sort of stuff. But I remember, um, I think it was Scylla or Farah at the time, I can't remember, but they, they, they made sure that they sent, um, a weekly shop from Sainsbury's mm -hmm. to her family and herself just because it was just one less thing for you know for her family to to worry about and they did that throughout the entire time 
that she was ill. I, it was again just one little example. So it was one thing that I'll never forget, like that sort of hold element of looking after people and being kind. I thought was yes, classy, isn't it? I, ideas yeah. don't always have to cost you loads of money either. It just have to be thoughtful. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, sorry, I, I, I'm yeah. glad I asked that question. But yeah, no, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's like, I'm sorry to jump into, but I, I just think it's funny because most people would expect you to kind of go, the reason I move is because I want to do something more meaningful and stuff. And, yeah. and actually, that became the added bonus at the end rather than the reason in the first place. And that, that's, yeah. that was quite interesting to me. And, and then, you know, when you start to think, oh, I could use... I could use the power of creativity to sell, you know, X amount of razors or cars or chocolate bars or the things I worked on. Yeah, or you could use it to save lives. And when you think about that, it, it becomes a pretty exciting prospect, actually, rather than a negative thing. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. So, OK, so you have this incredible decade, at A&V, um, loads of le- learnings. You sort of then meet Seven Stones, uh, very kind of established, independent, secure um, how does the gym work? Are you, are you just have you got desks around the gym? Then is that kind of how it works? <laughs> no, no, we're not. Yeah, we're not <laughs> running on the treadmill typing an email. That would be that'd be very dangerous. Um, no, it's just in the middle of the agency, um, and and uh, you know, as in in the heart of the building, right? It's still got walls. You can't see anyone working out, um, oh, and there's okay. uh, and it's just got really nice change facilities and stuff, and then and then. You know, even our boardroom has all the brackets on the ceiling for for the for our you know for TRX sessions and stuff. Oh, so cool. it's all in great. Yeah, and you know, it was all, it was designed around movement. You know, it's thinking about you know um, movement is essential to creativity. Essentially, it improves outcomes in, in any way. So even wide corridors, you know, um, stand up desks, those sorts of things, is is a way of um, you know improving productivity and creativity in the agency. So um, yeah, that was sort of the thinking, some of the thinking behind it. So coming from like an account management perspective, like your transition from biggest, best agency in the world at the time into an independent healthcare, what are your observations of the healthcare industry strategically, creatively? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't think I'd, I think I'd be allowed or or people would agree with me if I said as far as creativity goes, I I think, I think the standard could be a lot better um, in in this industry. It does, it does get a bit, um, you know, but we can talk about in a bit how, you know, I think the worlds of consumer and healthcare coming together and actually it's not as bad as as it was, but there was definitely a perception around it. You know, even my headhunter, like I say, when she called me was like, you know, don't say no straight away. It's, you know, all this stuff, but um you know, my first thought was, why Why can't you do brilliant work in healthcare? You know, I understand, you know, the notion of a beautiful constraint. Why can't you turn all those things into a positive? But, you know, I thought it was lazy at the time that it, it couldn't be done. And, you know, we spoke about this before, haven't we? Like, you know, I've been put on accounts at other agencies, say, in, the, in my time where, you know, the thinking was, you know, this is, this one's, you know, this one's for fortune or fame. This is just a money earner. Or this is the local bit of a, global piece of business so we just have to keep it happy you know these are not creative opportunities per se just you know just um you know just keep them happy but you know to me everything is a creative opportunity you know i love the fight you know of having a good idea and working out how to get it made and and this isn't it's no different to you know being on an fmcg brand or whatever else it's no different to healthcare you know and i i said i read this article the other day and um 
which I thought was spot on, which is, you know, healthcare advertising is now, well, now, now I know a bit more, is it's not it's not boring or uncreative because of the sector is is because we're not consistently getting to good enough briefs we're not getting the right team uh, around things you know or allowing enough time to craft things properly you know that's something we can learn from the consumer world the amount of craft that goes into things and the level of attention to detail in in, in the way things are made or you know getting the right budgets do it properly or even the right attitude sometimes you know and I said before as well you know if, if you have a good client or company and a good team with you then anything is possible in in any sector yeah totally i mean i think you won't get much disagreement around the create you know the standard of creativity but you know to to be fair um i'd say over the last 10 years i mean we it's the create the creative standard has boomed like we you know as i I keep sort of banging on about with you know people that i keep speaking to so i sound like an old man on repeat but, you know, the 60s, the Mad Men era of the creative revolution, you know, that sort of transformed the world of advertising, but it never really hit the world of pharma. It completely bypassed it. Um, but the great news is, is that we're having it over the, you know, we're having it now. Um, and you can just look at the sort of work and the type of agencies, whether it's 21 grams or area 23 or you know, whoever, loads of amazing agencies are doing some pretty groundbreaking work. That's also picking up awards in the mainstream award shows too, like, you know, DNAD. So we are, I think as an industry, it's probably great time to join. And it's only due to talent, frankly. I mean, because the products, you know, are the products. Um, I think there's been, I think we sort of touched on it, you know, in, in a previous chat where, and, you know, it'd be interesting to see your perspective on it but moving from the world of consumer when you're working with marketing directors who are I think a lot more sophisticated a bit more training a bit more understanding but they're also a lot more I found in my experience to be a lot more arrogant a lot a lot harder to kind of persuade where if you when when I saw was what was working in healthcare agency side I found that the marketing directors were very inexperienced because they basically came from Salesforce or more of the sort of scientific background and they just fancied marketing because it was different but they came in very unexperienced um but also less arrogant and a little bit more in touch with the sort of like emotional side of what patients go through when they're living through you know the conditions that they're working on so i always found it a lot a lot easier and a lot night a lot better experience a nicer experience of working with healthcare clients because they were less experienced, you know, they were less experienced um, and they kind of trusted, you know, agencies or, or people that I was working with a lot more because you kind of went in with a perspective and that expertise. I don't know if you found that, but that was kind of my, my observations when I made that jump. Yeah. I think it's probably a blessing and a curse, isn't it? In many ways, the pros and cons to, to both. I mean, I mean, the first bit of your question, I think, I mean, yeah, you've got the likes of you know Bayer Consumer and their Creative Council. You've got Canline now doing uh, health alongside the Core Show and and all this. So it, it has the two worlds have come closer together, haven't they? And that's probably a result of COVID as well, you know. And I mentioned that Coke meme I saw in you know, which was the holidays are coming, the big red Coca Cola truck, and you know, and then you had that image, which was, you know, 2019, the Coke one, and then 2020, the big blue Pfizer truck, you know, the the holidays are coming, still is the line, you know, the vaccine is here, you know, and it's like, like, when in a million years before, would you have ever seen a big 
pharma company like invading popular culture and, and getting into the vernacular in, in that sort of way like it just wouldn't have happened you know people on the streets going oh yeah well, I, had, I had the Pfizer then I had the Moderna like what about you <laughs> it's like what so I mean that is definitely the that's that that's that's why it's a great time to be in in, in this in, in this in this sector in this category but you know in terms of clients then you know yeah I, I um when I worked in the likes of Mars and P&G and um, BT and whatever else, like the marketers are very sophisticated. Um, you know, they have big training and marketing is a big part of their job, although not as big as ours, I guess. And um, But on the pharma side, it, it's very different because like you say, they may, they're probably in charge of products or they probably have more scientific backgrounds. And, and, it's, and it's a very rare thing to find someone who is both scientific and conceptual in the way that they think. So, um, you know, there's there's a bit of probably work to be done there, but um, but you know sometimes that sometimes that means you can <laughs> do more or there's more opportunity, and sometimes it means that um, it's too much work to to get from A to B. But um, it's um, yeah, it's it's you've got to get lucky sometimes. Maybe you know, you think about Snickers, right, as a product as well. You know, when I worked on that. The recipe hadn't changed in over 60 years you know it was literally you know nougat caramel chocolate and, and, and peanuts and and you know you had to, you had your innovations every now and then but it always went back to the core and but um you know, whereas healthcare is constantly evolving the science is getting more and more unpredictable and you know and i was thinking you know if we can if you can make the some of the best advertising of the last decade with a product that hasn't changed in 60 years that so most people is probably you know quite uninspiring from an innovative perspective as the core thing then then bloody other skies are in healthcare right you should be able to do um you should be able to do anything so you know i think like you say i think talent is the key it's always the key agencies are nothing without the people i think if we can and and things are coming together now where the the, the lines are blurring um you know if you can get the right talent around it doesn't doesn't necessarily have to be an agency full of the right talent but if you can get the right talent around a problem at the right time then you can get a really good answer to that problem so i think that's probably the first the first sort of hurdle to try and overcome yeah but but, but even if you look at the outside we're sort of going on a bit of a tangent now but even if you look on you know you sort of look at major consumer brands i mean a lot of them are starting to have health strategies you know whether it be burger king talking about mental health or um you know ikea with disables or i mean it's ridiculous as it sounds even heineken you know doing you know trying to sort of promote vaccinations which sort of picked up you know mm. awards around the world but i mean so even even major brands are trying to get into the healthcare space themselves right yeah and i think i think well, i think that goes back to the point that it's just it's it's far more interesting to to people in the sense that you know healthcare now touches everybody at some stage of their lives and you know people yeah. are only becoming more and more aware of it like you know people see their own personal health differently now you know the average person has more self-awareness than than they did years ago and you know and i think in the bigger award shows if you have an idea which is which has an element of purpose to it or you know it does save lives or it does have a um an outcome like that you know that, that's that's probably going to be because it's just more motive by nature isn't it it's going to do better than so I sold X, X cans of soup with this campaign, you know? So I think, um, you know, I think it is attractive and, you know, Abbott Mead have done it with plenty of times over with Macmillan and womb stories. And so, so you know, they, those, 
there's no reason why those things could have, couldn't have come from a healthcare agency, um, you know, and vice versa, probably. But even in society, though, right? Like, there's just there is just a greater education around health. Like, it, it feels like there are sort of more conditions or diseases. Not to say that they've just sort of popped up from nowhere, but there's just a lot more awareness today than there were, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago when we started out in you know, Adland, if you like, where if you were having a really bad time or you were sort of feeling hugely stressed, you know, no one ever really thought about like mental health. No one ever really sort of took you aside or, you know, talked to you. It was just, you know, as you say, like you just sort of have a drink, get through it. You know? <laughs> get through it. Get through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're all, yeah, a lot of the emphasis is, is about breaking down taboos, isn't it? And, and yeah, and like you say, that is a good, um, you know, it's a good segue, I guess, into, you know, mental health and anxiety and depression in the workplace. Yeah, before people had never spoken about it, but you need to do campaigns to make it okay to talk about it because um, that's the first step in terms of, um, yeah, making it better. Which, okay, yeah, and that is a, a, a seamless segue somehow <laughs> into this work. So this project was done with Calm. So why don't you just take us back well, from the beginning, really, just to start with the beginning. How, how did this project all come about? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I say, should I say the context on calm? Um, yeah, let's do that. Just, just for people, just for um, so people know who they are. But that, you know, calm or campaign against living miserably, our male suicide prevention charity. You know, in the UK, one hundred twenty-five people die by suicide every week, and seventy-five percent of those deaths are male, um, which is nuts, really. You know, suicide is now the biggest killer of men under the age of forty-five. Which is a, a bigger threat than heart disease, cancer, or road accidents, you know, and that is not okay. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and that that's why calm exists, you know, to be in your corner, no matter what, you know, and, and um, I know you'll share the links to calm as well, but you know, they've got their website and they've got a phone number, um, you know, for people that are struggling to call at any time. So that, that's who, that's who calm, calm are. Um, and then, yeah, what you want to, so you want to talk about the idea, how it came about. Yeah, yeah, let's go right from the very beginning because it is a stunning piece of work. Of, you know, I'm sure any everyone listening to this has pretty much seen it, but it is brilliant. It's sort of so of the moment and I think coming from the world of healthcare, it's sort of, you know, we talk we talk about craft um, and everything about it is wonderful. So undoubtedly everything that looks simple and brilliant is always, you know, quite challenging to yeah. get out. I know a little bit about this story. I know it but yeah, I just want to hear it from you, from your, from the horse's mouth, if you like. Awesome. Yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, like I say, it was initially a proactive idea. Um, it, it didn't come from a, a brief. It was something that a few of us had when we worked on BT Sport um, back in the day, about three years ago. Uh, and, um, you know, it was an interesting idea. And, and But it needed a charity partner uh, to make it credible and and we spoke to BT about it. And, you know, the clients at the time absolutely loved it, but it, it kind of went up the chain and it transpired. We, it, it couldn't go any further because, you know, like most big companies, they have a CSR policy in place. They have their, you know, their registered charities that they sign up to help. And, you know, they don't have time or resources or shouldn't really be working on anything other than that. So, you know, it was a sort of a hard stop. And, and um, you know, we had... You know, I knew the calm guys. We'd got the calm guys involved, so I, I, um, 
I did the Marketing Academy Scholarship, um, which is a sort of learning and development program. And one of my mentors on that was a guy called James Scroggs, who's the chairman of Calm. So, you know, and I, I'd, I'd, I think I'd asked him to be my mentor anyway, even before this, because I, you know, I have an affiliation with with the charity on a sort of personal level and, and I wanted to speak to him, but he's been a mentor of mine sort of professionally. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I said, you know, got an idea. Can we talk to you about it? And he put me in touch with Simon, the CEO and then the marketing director at the time. And, you know, can't probably have agencies, um, you know, one, one a week, giving them a call, trying to pitch proactive things to them because it's such a rich territory. But so they probably came to offices thinking, you know, come and we'll, we'll hear him out and then we'll go to lunch or, you know, just um, give them give the time of day. Um, but, you know, the idea really struck a chord and they absolutely loved it. And they wanted to make it happen. So, you know, when we when we found out we couldn't do it with BT, we said, you know, sorry, let's do it anyway. Um, you know, and they are a charity. They had limited funds. So there were lots of conversations about, well, sh- should we find another corporate partner? But the more you spoke to, you know, some some sort of fitted it authentically in terms of um, a partnership, but others didn't. And, you know, they're not going to pay for it for nothing. They're going to want their end frame or, or a logo or something. And, then, you know, the further down the road we got, the more we realised that it was just not working. Um, you know, brands always, you know, they want to talk about mental health probably because, you know, it will pay back on their brand tracker in terms of trust and brand love or whatever and it, it'll make people feel more favorably about their brand but ultimately it felt like they were doing it to sell products and not because they really believed in it so um you know again we um we just said forget it we'll make you know there are enough talented people in this industry that i think we could get to work for the cause and you know and a good idea helps um you know to put their name to but um you know that was where it kind of um that's where it all started. And then yeah. um, two and a half years later, it finished. <laughs> okay, right. So you've got, you've, you've got Calm on board um, yeah. and they've gone, right, love this idea. You know, you're not going to have the, the sort of funds of BT to do it, but you've still got a hell of a journey to go, right? You've got to get um, approval from Tyson, <laughs> I guess. Talk to us about that like okay you've got you've got the script how do you get in touch with you know world heavyweight champion of the world yeah well should we, i'll tell you first why we chose him yeah um and then then the, the fun of trying to trying to lock him down because um you know we you know he was quite obvious to us as the perfect person to tell this tell this story you know he he had been unusually open i guess about his own struggles with mental health over the years and uh, you know he'd even tried to take his own life and you know it was, it was it was in 2018 he had um we had a trilogy fight with with the u.s boxer with john T. wilder and and it was the first one of those and that if you've seen that you know that was a perfect metaphor you know to tell his personal story of overcoming his demons so and i don't know if you saw it but it was it was literally it was the 12th and final round um and and basically wilder knocks him to the floor you know with two pretty brutal punches and you know the refs get to the end of his 10 second count and it, it literally looks like the game's over um and you know out of nowhere fury suddenly gets to his feet and he looks fine he's ready to go again and you know bloody hell, you know, and and that seeing that fight just had to be you know the basis of our campaign you know i remember um watching 
Tyson after that fight on, on BBC Sports Personality of the Year. And he was being interviewed by Gary Lineker. And, you know, Gary was like, you know, what an amazing fight. And it was all boxing chats. You know, when are you going to fight him again? You know, you're going to knock him out next time, you know, all that sort of stuff. And and um, Tyson said, look, I don't, I don't want to talk about boxing. I just want to send a message to sort of say, you know, however hard you get knocked down in life, always make sure you get back up again. And, um, you know, that was pretty powerful. And, you know, until then, I think people had a lot of people had different opinions of Tyson. He had said some pretty bad stuff in the past, to put it mildly, and um, it was a bit of a polarising character. But he, he certainly put himself forward as an advocate for mental health in, in that moment. And and that was like, that, that was when I was like, we have we have to get um, Tyson um, to do this. It's going to be, that would be incredible. And, um, and then, yeah, then, like you say, um, it was about trying to make that happen. Because we've spoken about this before and I, I really, I thought it was really brilliant when you started talking about the strategy about why sport was important and why that would, that particular area was where you wanted to basically play. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I talked through the strategy of the campaign. It's, it's good to um, go there. I'll tell you what, let me talk about who we're talking to because the strategy comes yeah, from that. Cool. And then- and you'll see where the sport things come comes from. But, um, you know, from the start, it was about sports, sports interested men, you know, as the audience. And it was quite a big bracket sort of, you know, sort of see guys aged 30 to 55. And, you know, using sport allowed us to to access that audience, which we otherwise would have struggled to reach, um, you know, in an area where guys are more comfortable expressing their emotions, which I'll, I'll talk about in a sec. But, um, you know, using elite sports people gave people permission to open up. So, you know, the thinking was that, you know, if the heavyweight champion of the world can have mental health issues, then I definitely can as well. Um, you know, so that, that audience was people at crisis point, really. You know, anyone who's, strugg- anyone who's struggling, you know, whether it be from isolation, anxiety, health, money worries. Um, and then there was a secondary audience after that, which was like, you know, social circles around those people. So, you know conversations with with people that you trust friends and family you know are, are incredibly valuable in in preventing suicide you know and those people are best place to spot someone struggling um and probably best place to encourage them to actually talk about it and seek help um you know whether it be from karma or anyone else so you know that was that was the audience and i guess i guess there were sort of three objectives as well that's what that's worth mentioning so one was about raising awareness of karma as a charity you know and what they did obviously there were lots of mental health charities. You have Mind and Samaritans and other ones um, in the UK. But, um, but you know, Calm is a name which, you know, it's, it's not massively clear what they do just from the acronym. Um, and there's also, you know, that, uh, that mindfulness app um, with the same name. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's like, yeah, thou shalt not, not be named, but I've already named it because it's the same. Um, but, you know, ranks higher in Google. Um, and, you know, they had a new strap line, you know, United Against Suicide, which addressed it, but we had to get that out there. Uh, second objective was just about challenging the negative perceptions of, you know, that poor mental health is a sign of weakness, which it's not, it's a strength. And, you know, and a lot of companies were were really good at aligning themselves to doing good. You know, like I said, everyone wants, wants to sort of say, you know, yeah, we we think, um, you know, mental health is, a, is an important topic. But, you know, Calm were uniquely placed to walk the walk and not just talk it because they literally had this phone number that's, you know, available, you know, 5 p.m. to midnight all the time where, 
you know you know people can literally call up so um you know and if the campaign was going to be successful we needed people to pick up the phone so you know that that was kind of the audience objectives and then the strategy was kind of in in three elements so you know to your original question it, it the first bit was about using sport to challenge the stigma so you know talking about personal mental health struggles you know is challenging for guys you know there is a stigma around issues like anxiety and depression that make them feel like a weakness you know not something a, a real man in inverted commas should have to worry about but you know the truth is that mental health issues are indiscriminate and not signs of weakness talking about them takes courage and confronting them takes strength you know and we wanted to flip the narrative in that way you know to position talking about mental health as a as a signal of strength not weakness so you know we look to sport and and you know and unpacking that a bit more because because you asked i guess is you can't just do an ad or a film or campaign or whatever to guys and say if you're struggling call this number because you know they're too they're too manly to respond to that um to kind of oversimplify it a bit but um you know what you've got to do is find a passion point or find an interest or a hobby as a vehicle i guess to tell that message and in, in a way which they might recognize um, themselves or, or or be familiar you know i.e yeah i'm struggling and i can see i can see that this ads about that and, and you've got my attention but then the interesting bit of the hard bit is then also sort of educating them that you know that is a problem um and you should talk about it or call this number uh, you know and, um, and and do something about it and you know sport was the passion point if you like that we chose as the interesting topic to kind of get their attention and that, that's what I, I think again this is a kind of learning from anyone listening to this podcast which i think i'd like to just hold on for a little bit just because you know again i haven't i don't work in agencies anymore but i'm still connected to friends you know that still are and i think one of the things the observations that i've experienced in the past and a lot of my friends are experiencing at the moment is just uh, you know every brief they that tends to land on on their desks or emails uh, are all kind of very generic right and i think just this level of thinking of like the medium of sport you know with those killer in insights that you're talking about you know men don't really necessarily find it easy to talk but you know maybe they are the most emotional or expressive self when they're looking at sport whether it be boxing or football or whatever and there is this whole thing about you know if i sort of finding the right moment where your audience is going to be the most receptive right and and i just sort of sort of using a parallel example so if calm went to and again i'm not i'm not saying this to offend anyone and i'm not pointing out any specific agencies i'm just using it as a general term that hopefully most people will, will reflect when they hear what i'm about to say so apologize if you're gonna anyone's gonna get offended with what i'm about to say but if calm went to the the sort of average healthcare agency and went you know 125 people um you know, commit suicide every week, 75% of them are men. We want them to, you know, obviously call us before any, they do anything awful to themselves. You know, they, they generally have a, a pretty generic brief. They'd go for a strap line. They'd kind of go and find some interesting stories of people who've come out through the other side. They'd come up with some ads and it would all be pretty vanilla. And it's not at the fault of the creatives. I think it's generally all down to the brief. 
And I think this is a really important lesson. Like you're saying, no, sport, sport is where we want to play. Sport is where we're going to be the most, going to get the most um, success, success from it. Yeah. Yes. The most amount of success from it because just of the insights that we've got. And I think just from a medium perspective, I thought it was just brilliant. So again, any planners out there listening to this, use this as an example, any creatives listening to this, make sure that your planners, your strategists are listening to this, or at least give them something to go away and come back to the moment in time where your audience is going to be most receptive. Because actually playing in a, in a niche space can sometimes, as, as this is sort of demonstrated, unlock much better creative and also much better results. So anyway, sorry for sort of um, yeah, totally. taking a bit of time there, but I just really thought it was very important to kind of just hold on that for a little bit. Yeah, I think I think that's right as well. Um, you know, and I sort of say my sort of magic moment was watching the BBC Sports Personality of the Year speech, and that was obviously just Tyson. But what was interesting at the time was that there was a whole load of sports stars that that just started talking about issues like depression and who do we? Have? So you had sort of like Joe Marler in rugby; he's a calm ambassador, and Johnny Wilkinson. It's being quite vocal, Colin McGregor, um, Marcus Juskothic in cricket, um, sort of before that. So that's what kind of made it feel like we could use sport to start a new conversation about suicide. And and it wasn't just sports people. I, th- I think it's a really important distinction to say that it was elite athletes as well. And, you know, the reason for that is that on the face of it, they've got everything. You know, they've got fame, wealth physical strength you know like their their instagrams are amazing um but you know on but of course none of that protects you from anxiety or depression you know and 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 that's why that was quite interesting so you know telling the story of those sports star struggles you would have thought would definitely uh help challenge the attitude that mental illness is a sign of weakness yeah, so I mean, so that's the first bit of the strategy anyway. And I guess just to sort of follow that bit through, I mean, the, sec- the second bit of it was about making health tangible. So, you know, one of the challenges with mental health as well is that it's hidden. You know, you it's really hard to spot whether someone is suffering from depression, anxiety, or having suicidal thoughts. You know, we, you know we're in a chat, one of us could be, you know, there could be someone listening and no, you know, nobody knows, there's no way of knowing. So, you know, we needed to find a way of making these internal struggles tangible. You know, I, I guess for the primary audience, for those struggling, it, it would reassure them that these emotions are shared by millions of other people. You know, for the wider ones, audience, it, it would it would help them understand the issue, you know, to, to help them, I guess, feel the message, you know, not, not just sort of hear it. But, you know, the idea in the end came from from those two elements. You know, it was, you know, the insight behind it was came from combining the truth that mental health is hidden you know with the competitive context of sports and and competition and stuff like that and you know that got us to the line sometimes the toughest opponents are the ones you can't see you know and and the idea of the invisible opponent was born out of that okay so you've got an an incredible strategy you've got a, a great creative expression and script and idea but you don't have tyson yet but you've got calm on board so 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 now what happens yes so um yeah quite right we were missing a key element <laughs> um so <laughs> we thought yes um yeah we better go and get tyson then um 
so if only it was that easy um but yes yeah, so, i mean and, and and that really was the explanation for the big void of time between um inception to to being living in the real world but um i mean god there are so many stories and examples over that time you know of of how we came so close but but yet so far um i guess one of them um uh john crowshaw power vars who's ex head of bt sport now an agent he he got us in he got us a meeting with frank warren in queensbury um we'd done a a, a little prezzo um for him to do on our behalf and and um and frank Warren thought that it was brilliant great let's do it we're like happy days god we've you know <laughs> we've done it um you know so what's what do we have to do now you know so the only small outstanding step was you know the commercial guy's just going to go and run it under tyson's nose but that'd be no problem you know type thing and um like, you know so it was, it was sort of high fives and whoops all around and then but then <laughs> but then this guy basically just went like mia it was just like you know we just you know, we just couldn't couldn't get hold of him ever again. So from being, what was he like out of interest? What was Frank Warren like? So I wasn't there. So John did it for us. You know, John, oh right, okay, we okay. You know, I, we weren't allowed anywhere near him. You know, like, he, why, why would he see us? Type thing. So you know, it's, it was about using connections we had at different times to, you know, to um, you know, and, and we can talk about how we how we got there in the end, which is another story. But you know, so it was just about you know, there was no. You know, I didn't want to be. Matter who the front man was, no matter who did it, the, the important thing was that it ha- it happened. You know, that, so that was what that was one effort. The the other one was um, a bit more embarrassing. You know, that was finally we found out that Tyson was doing a book signing, um, not too far. From, you know, it was in town somewhere. I can't remember. Is that Waterstones? I think it was at Canary Wharf. You know, I think in the city anyway. But you know, we thought, oh, you know, let's let's go in, let's go in queue for two hours. Uh, you know, on the, on the off chance that when he signs my book and I'm, and I go, Hey Tyson, by the way, I've got a really good idea for you. you know, do you want to be in our film? You know, that he would actually just say, yeah, sure. Let's go, you go into this room for five minutes and talk about it. You know, so like, like I said, you know, it's like, <laughs> to know when you're in pursuit of love or, you know, you, you turn into a crazy man and everything just, you know, ideas that are, um, you know, uh, insane starts start to sound like good good ones but um you know we we went there three of us and we queued for about an hour you know and, and i walked to the front and had a look and i saw tyson surrounded by these three heavies and i just had <laughs> visions of being picked up by my collar and thrown out the side through a window <laughs> or something. But, and i just went back to the guys i was like yeah like, this isn't this isn't gonna work let's let's um let's go for lunch and rethink um so um yes we bailed on on that queue halfway through it um didn't even get my book well that's it for part one please do hit the subscribe button now to make sure that you hear episode two as soon as it drops i promise you you will not want to miss it until next time <laughs>